Welcome to the Save Your Marriage podcast, dedicated to all the men and women out there who are going through marital problems and want to save their marriages. Here, we give you tools, perspectives, and insight into how to save your marriage and have a thriving marriage. This podcast is sponsored by The Fortified Spouse. And now, here's your host, Arturo Henriquez. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I just want to invite all the men and women out there to book a private, complimentary call with me. We will talk about your particular situation in private and give you lots of guidance and put you on the path to restoring and saving your marriage. Just go to www.fortifiedspouse.com forward slash call. That's C-A-L-L. So what about love? So what does it deal with love? I had a listener who said, you know, you never talk about how to fall back in love. You know, how can we get back the love we had and why don't you think it's important? And it's an interesting conversation. It's an interesting point because this listener is actually right. I haven't talked a lot specifically about love and there is a specific reason. So let's first of all, just go with one point, you know, and I asked this person, so what is love, right? I responded back, so what do you mean by love? And I got a lot of, you know, I don't know, but. And then there were several different thoughts about love. And I think that's the issue when you're trying to talk about how, how do you restore love? The question is, what do you mean by that? Because a lot of times we get lost in this definition and someone will say, well, we just want to get the love back. And when I start pulling at the threads of that, it begins to look a lot different than love. So let's kind of talk through some of the possibilities of what people mean when they say love. You know, one is that feeling of butterflies, of attraction, or to put it in different phrase, the feeling of infatuation. That really is kind of the beginning point of a lot of people's relationships, right? Infatuation. And a lot of people have talked now about affairs and limerence, right? The term limerence has come up many times when people are asking me, what does that mean? Well, limerence is just another way of describing infatuation. When you're infatuated with somebody, you're attracted to them for lots and lots of possible reasons. Maybe you're attracted to their looks. Maybe you're attracted to their lifestyle. Maybe you're attracted to how they present themselves, to their confidence to lots of these different pieces that fall into that attraction piece. But let's be clear that there is this deep part of your brain and my brain that is triggered by something in other people. There's an attraction level. We're wired for that as humans because part of our wiring is like every other organism where we want to perpetuate the species. We want to pass our genes on Because that is one of the prime motivators for organisms in life to keep the process going, to keep our progeny going. And so part of what's going on there is sexual attraction, some level of attraction to that person for for those reasons. And it really does set the stage. Most people say that they're not going to approach someone where there is not some level of attraction. Now, what triggers that attraction, as I said, can vary. So we're not just talking about what somebody looks like, but that is a piece of the puzzle of this love thing, our infatuation. 
Now, here's the problem. Infatuation has a shelf life. You know, we know that from research that the feeling of infatuation is going to fade over time, regardless of who you're infatuated with, regardless of the infatuation, it just cannot survive because the hormonal surge that's behind that at some point begins to calm down. So then we can ask the question of, well, we just fit, right? Maybe that's a definition you're using of love. We just fit. And many times that's like a really strong friendship. You just like to do things together. And over time, that ends up being something you define as love. Some people had defined love to me as we agree on everything. Now, let me be clear. That's a dangerous way of defining love because you won't always agree on everything. In fact, in in the Fortified Spouse Program, I talk about these levels of intimacy. And the first level of intimacy is always pseudo-intimacy. Pseudo-intimacy is where we act as if we agree on everything. We don't disagree with this person that we have interest in. We act as if we are in agreement. Guys, this happens in organizations. It happens in relationships. You know, I remember it happened when I met my wife. At that point, obviously, she was not my wife. She wasn't even my girlfriend. This person that I found attractive, we started looking at all the things we had in common, all the things that we agreed on. We like the same food. We like going to the movies. We had the same type of family backgrounds. We had the same type of values. We enjoyed the same things. That was part of what we all do in establishing a relationship at the very beginning. And it took a while before we got beyond that and started talking about and thinking about the things that we didn't agree on. That didn't mean that there wasn't love there. It's just a danger when we define it as, oh, we just agree on everything. So there's our problem. We could go on and on and on talking about love and what it means. And all we would do is have lots of different opinions about what that's about. And therein lies the problem. Defining love, it's a very difficult thing. Philosophers have been trying for thousands of years, right? Novelists have been trying for hundreds of years at least. Love stories go back in time. Love songs go back in time. If you just listen to love songs... It's interesting to see what they represent as love and how people interpret them as different types of love. Now, if you take one step back, you just realize that the definition of love varies from person to person and also from time to time. That's why it's very difficult to say, how do you get the love back? But does that make it a pointless question? Well, not really. Let's just talk for a minute about some of the things we know about love. One is that it can be a feeling, but it can also be an action. I mean, you can do loving actions, right? In fact, that's one of the things that unlocks, you know, many religions um, and what they've been talking about, about taking loving actions towards people that we don't even agree with. Loving our enemy, for instance, has been something that's been documented in many different religious backgrounds. So what's the point of that? There was no expectation in that religious thought that you were going to feel warmth or feel attraction to your enemy, but that you could act in a kind, loving way, which is an important point for us to hold on to for just a minute here. Now, let's turn our attention to some of the things that have tended to be the predictors of marriage success and and research, right? This comes across 
a wide range of research experiments that looked at what kept people together, looked at different surveys, looked at different interviews, uh, platforms of different people trying to determine why do marriages work. And one of the biggest reasons that people said that marriages work was because there was mutual validation. That was one of the sustaining factors in marriage, mutual validation. When you feel like somebody's always talking about what's wrong with you and what you're doing wrong and how you are, just something is defective in you. For instance, I hear that a lot of times when people come in and their spouse keeps telling them about how they're so messed up from their family growing up, that's an invalidator. When we look at our spouse and look at the strengths that they bring and what they offer into the relationship, that's a validator feeling. Validated as a person is one of our core needs as humans. And the validation can come in lots of different ways. Our skills we have, our character, our personality, our looks. I mean, there's so many different places of validation. But what we know from research is that when couples do a good job of mutually validating each other, it points to long-term success in the marriage. Another one is shared core values. Now, this is something I do talk about in my Fortified Spouse program, where most of the time people find others that have very similar values in their makeup. And when I say values, I'm not talking about whether you share religious beliefs or political beliefs, but deep down, right, what are the core values that are around you? Now, there are times when I've met with people who had conflicting core values, the deepest levels of values, conflicting core values. At one point, I remember when a couple came, uh, one wanted to create a polygamous relationship, wanted to have multiple spouses. The other did not want that, wanted to have a monogamous relationship. Those are two very different core values. And in this case, they cannot be reconciled. You had to go one way or the other. And that was my point with them. I told them eventually I cannot work with them because their core values were so different. I had another couple where one's values was to be honest at all points in time, no matter what the consequences were. The other spouse's core value was to get whatever you could, no matter what the cost, no matter what you had to do to get it. This was a go-for-it world. Those are conflicting values. This wasn't about whether they believed in one kind of food or another, or, or if they believed in the Republican or the Democrat Party or some other party. This was a core makeup. You know, it wasn't about what is your favorite restaurant. Most people have very similar core values. When we get down to that and take off the varnish, get down to the heart of it, we find that their core values are the same. And that's a predictor of a strong marriage going forward because they have that to rely on. When they don't have core values, it's a predictor of problems in a relationship. Another predictor of marriage success is, and it's two parts, it's self-expansion and support of self-expansion. So let's just for a moment take, you know, take self-expansion as a concept. You probably are familiar with self-development, self-growth which usually is about our psychological makeup and trying to grow our psychology, right? Trying to grow our internal skill set. Self-expansion includes that, but it encompasses so much more. For instance, self-expansion can include trying out new things, trying out new 
cuisines, trying out new places to travel, trying out new styles of music or venues for entertainment or different movie genres or so many different things. When we want to expand into something else, try a new hobby, try a new activity, try a new sport, take on something new in your life. Maybe you decide at midlife to write a book. That's self-expansion. Maybe it's a novel. That's self-expansion. The question is how we support each other in that. One person being big into self-expansion is great, but the real magic here is when you're supporting each other. So why does it take both? Well, self-expansion means that somebody is bringing outside energy into the relationship. So let's say I decide that it's time for me to try out a new cuisine, right? My spouse may say, yeah, I'm not really interested in that, but I get interested in it and I pursue that. Maybe I decide to learn to cook in that manner. And so I come home and I start cooking in that way. I might bring in some extra energy into the relationship because I have this new place of interest. Same with my spouse. Maybe my spouse decides to do the same thing. And maybe I have no interest or have no knowledge of it at the beginning, but I can support my spouse's interest. The danger is when we pressure somebody to expand in ways that we think that they should. Not whether they're expanding, but are we trying to force them into expansion? So many times people ask the question, how can I get my spouse to read your book or listen to your podcast? And my response is don't. Don't try to get somebody to expand in a way you want them to expand. Self-expansion truly is the self-wanting of that expansion. But what we do now from research is that successful marriages are made up of two people who are self-expanding and supporting the other in that expansion, whatever it may be. The other one that is very common to see is commitment. Right? This is the heart of what I think is kind of a navigating point in a marriage. That's the point where you start off as kind of the North Star, as I call it, the North Star, the foundation of your relationship. You've made a commitment to each other. You've made a promise. That is the marital vows. We're going to be together no matter what, all the way till the end of our lives. And that's what marriage is about. And because of that long-term strategy, it changes how you do everyday life. What do you do with a conflict? If you say we're going to be together for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, potentially, well, you can't just let it go, right? You have to solve it and get through that, which is different than saying, I've just got to tolerate you until, you know, this point in life. So a commitment means that you have a long-term outlook on this. You see how this keeps moving forward and therefore you orient around how to solve problems differently. The commitment or the commitment focus also means that you're building on that foundation. Whatever you do from here is based on that place. So you can navigate from it. You can build on it either one. Now, I talk about this North Star in my Fortified Spouse program because it's always there. The North Star, at least if you're in the North Northern Hemisphere, it's always pointing north. No matter where you are, you can orient and say, oh, there's our North Star. That means that we are on the right path. We're going north. We're on the right path. So maybe it gets cloudy, right? Maybe you're out on the ocean and it gets clouds, clouds over you and you have a storm and you don't know quite what to do. But when it all clears, you go, 
Ah, there's my orientation. It's the same with commitment. You can orient around that and keep the relationship going. So commitment relationships also do very well in surviving. There is one other factor that also leads to marriages that are successful, and that is fair fighting. That both people work to fight fairly when there's a conflict. That they find some way of solving that without allowing it to be a personal attack or without expanding into other areas and to get to a solution that works for everybody. And I've said many times, conflict is about progress, not about an attack. So couples who fight fairly, who deal with their conflict in a fair way, in a way that is growth-oriented, also do well long-term. In the Fortified Spouse Program, we talk about the relationship triangle, where there's you, there's your spouse, and then there's the problem. And there's you and your spouse, and there's a relationship. And so if a problem affects the relationship, it's not a you versus your spouse. It's you and your spouse helping the relationship that's being attacked by a problem. Now, having said those pieces, I want you to notice what's not there. No point has love been shown to be the heart of a successful marriage. Now, you can assume it's background because if you're doing those things, maybe the love is there. But the research doesn't show a way of doing that for a couple of reasons. One is, as we said earlier, it's hard to define. Two is because it's not reported that way by people when they interview them. So we have to make a love shift in a relationship. And this is the same love shift that happens in any relationship. When people come to me and say they want to get back to that loving feeling again, what they're really telling me about is what they remember from the very beginning, a feeling of infatuation. And sometimes it comes because that's the point when they felt the connection. They felt the depth. Sometimes it's because somebody in the relationship had had some infatuation with somebody outside of the marriage that reminded them of something they felt before and haven't felt for a long time. Therefore, assuming the love has been missing, and that's really what fuels affairs, infatuation. And the problem is you're comparing a new relationship to an older relationship when that happens. So this love shift that we're looking at is from understanding it as infatuation, which is that feeling, the driver of connection, by the way, to connection. So let me go through that just one more time. Whenever you meet somebody and you're attracted to them, there may be some level of infatuation. That was certainly true in the beginning of my relationship with my spouse. I saw her when I walked into the classroom and I said, wow, she's pretty. She's got beautiful eyes. And she talked with me a little bit. And I thought, wow, she is really pretty. And that infatuation, that feeling is what led me. And if you don't know my story with my wife and how we met, well, I uh, went back to school to get two more master's degrees. And I was walking through the hallway of, a, of the building and a, a teacher that I had a great relationship with wanted to introduce me to this beautiful uh, student that she had in one of her classrooms that was taking up advanced English because my, my wife is from Colombia. And I was walking through the hallway. My teacher saw me and came rushing out and you know brought me to the door and said, wait, and came out with what was going to be my wife um, and introduced us. And I remember 
seeing um, this this beautiful uh, young lady with beautiful big blue eyes and big big curly hair, and we exchanged numbers just really more so I can orient her around school because she had just gotten arrived to school and I had been there for a year. And I invited her out for drinks. And then the next night, I called her around 8 p.m. and we talked until six in the morning the next day. And then a day or so later, I took her to the theater. And of course, the infatuation grew. But so did the connection because of that infatuation. And so the infatuation leads us naturally into deeper levels of connection in a relationship. And at some point, as the infatuation begins to you know, weigh a little bit, uh, the connection can take over. But connection, the feeling of connection, is fueled by action. It's not just this nebulous thing that you feel in your, in your tummy, in your stomach. When I do things to connect with my, my spouse and she does things to connect with me, we feel more connected. And because of that, we can still feel that feeling, that infatuation feeling at some level, that feeling of attraction when it's fueled by action. But connection changes love to the verb where you do love, not you feel love, but you do love. And if you do that on a regular basis, you continue to feel the love which is why I don't talk about the feeling, the love feeling very much in the process, in our process. It leads us to what I consider to be two of the marriage problems, and they two X each other. So one of the marriage problems is a connecting issue. You might have hit the pause button on your marriage thinking that you would come back to it. That's the pause button. That's the pause button marriage. As I talk about it, it is you know, when the kids are coming along or you're working on the career or something else, you hit pause and you think, we'll come back to this. We'll eventually get back to ourselves at some point down the road when the kids are grown, when the career has been made, when whatever has happened, we'll come back to this only to discover that the connection has crumbled along the way. Relationships are either growing or they are receding. They're not stagnant. So if you hit the pause button, it's receding unbeknownst to you until you realize it in the midst of a crisis. So we have a connecting issue. And then we also have an expansion issue where people aren't expanding in their lives. You know, it's the three C's of saving any marriage, connecting, changing yourself. And the third one is creating new paths. Because most people don't realize that they're trying to build a we as a team, a we. That is the clincher for these problems. The we is the commitment part. So because of this, at some point in life, most of us get a bit stagnant. We stop exploring the world as much. We stop moving around and finding new things as much. And because of that stagnation, we're not bringing energy into our own lives and therefore into our relationship. And that compounds over time and it compounds each other. A connection issue and an expansion issue combined together is where we have the largest number of marriage problems, where the marriage begins to crumble. So what do we have to do? Well, from that, you already know the answer, connecting and growing, right? That's the answer. And when we're connecting with our spouse, when we're building that connection, 
And when we're expanding in our own life, so we're finding our own place of happiness and of fulfillment, guess what comes out of that? It's the feelings of love. The love that I didn't have to talk about because that's not the beginning point. That's not the end point and that's not the middle point. If I were to say to you, okay, the way you save your marriage is for both of you to fall in love, you would still be just as stuck. Except for now, there's the confusion of what do I mean by love and what do I mean by falling in love? And the formula of that is about building the connection and expanding yourself. Now, that is very simplified, but I needed to and wanted to talk about why I don't talk much about love when I'm talking about this, because it's not the beginning point. It's not the starting point. It's the outcome. When people want this as the solve place, you don't solve it by that. You build towards that. That's what I talk about in the Fortified Spouse Program. I talk about how to rebuild this connection. How do you understand marriage in a way that you haven't? And how do you work through it, even if you're the only one wanting to save your marriage right now? You see, one of the things that has flattered me time and time again is when people have said, I wish that people had used your system before they got married. Because what they're telling me is I've kind of told them what the secret of marriage is that they never knew before. That this should be a pre-marriage program, not a savior marriage program. The fact is that, you know, the Fortified Spouse program has been used by people, you know, most people who are Lone Rangers. They're the only ones who are at this point working and wanting to work on themselves and save their marriage because their spouse had lost hope. And they still managed to save their marriage because they inspired their spouse who was hopeless to eventually join them back in the marriage and work on it together. Both of them are probably feeling the hurt, the pain, and perhaps both of them at this point don't even know how to move forward. Maybe you and your spouse don't know how to move forward, and maybe part of that is that you still have some hope. So you can work on that by yourself. But think about what would happen if both people wanted that. That makes it an incredibly powerful process. But if not, you can still do that by yourself. If you're confused by all of this and you're really wanting to dig down deep and you realize that just falling back in love is not the answer, it's a description of what might happen down the road, and you want to know how to start the process, then I implore you to check out the Fortified Spouse Program. Know that love is the outcome. It's what we're looking for is the connection. And if you get the connection, then we never need to talk about love. Thank you for listening. If you are hurting, if you are lost, if you are in despair, if you're facing this anxiety, what do I do? How do I respond when my spouse is being toxic? How do I respond when my spouse is stonewalling me? I don't know what to do. My spouse doesn't love me anymore. I don't know what to do. My spouse is cheating on me. My spouse wants a separation or a divorce. I don't know what to do. We can help you find those answers and give you those tools to learn how to stabilize the marriage, how to postpone and delay the divorce or separation or win your spouse back from an affair so you can work on yourself and gain the tools to become the man or woman, wife or husband that you should have always been and want to be, which has the highest probability of saving your marriage because it offers your spouse a new path 
a new relationship that they cannot see right now. And I invite you to take part in the Fortified Spouse program. Go to www.fortifiedspouse.com and enroll in the program. The program is going to change your life and it has the highest probability of saving your marriage. You have been listening to the Save Your Marriage podcast for men and women. For further information, visit The Fortified Spouse at www.fortifiedspouse.com. Thank you.